say thank you, um, as I, I generally do, to this church when I come back um, come back from vacation. I don't take that for granted that you guys uh, allow me and my family that time. It was, it was great. Thanks for asking. Um, and uh, yeah, I just appreciate being in a place where you value rest. And so. Uh, thank you for that. It's been a few weeks since I've been in front of you, so I'm glad to be back here. And that's why you're hearing so much of me talk, because I have had myself speak. No, I'm uh, So, hey, a couple things before we start. First things first, um, if you are a musician, and I know sometimes being a musician in your congregation, where you watch other musicians up front, is a little intimidating at times. But if you're a musician, like you play an instrument uh, and, and or sing, uh, I'd love to talk to you. Our worship team could use... Uh, a few more people on it. We, we'd love to talk to you, kind of introduce you to that community, and, and uh, start to start to see how you might be able to serve. Um, hear that is my invitation. A lot of times there's, there's folks who uh, go out and find you, but if, listen, don't tell us if you got musical gifts. Like we're not going to know more than likely. So we'd love to hear from you in that. Um, we had an informational meeting a little earlier this morning, in case you weren't here. Uh, a lot of great news was given out there, because there's a lot of great things going on. You know, our, our, our church is in a better place financially, I think we've ever been at this point in the year, certainly. Um, you know, we've got, Kent said we have, I'm, I'm sure it's from eight, from like under the age of 18, but now there are 123 children in this church, um, which I, you know, told the, told the group that was here that, you know, 85% of the churches in the country are less than 100 people. So, I mean, the Lord seems good to give us more kids than the average church size in America, which is really awesome. Um, but that does present a, a, a difficulty, a, a challenge, right? Because when you have almost half of your congregation being little, uh, that generally impacts your budget a little bit. And, but when you also need a facility, that kind of you're, you need to be back basically like twice the size of the amount of people who can support it. And yet, the Lord is providing so that hopefully this week we'll be closing on that property on Frontier Drive. Hopefully. I don't know if this is anything. But hopefully. <laughs> Lord willing. Okay? So that's what's going on in, in the life of the church. So uh, over the last few weeks, Ken has taken a break. We've taken a break from our generosity series to jump into uh, hope. You can go back and listen to those. Those are great. Um, he did a great job while, while I was gone. I'm thankful for that. But now we're jumping back into generosity. So if you're visiting here this morning and you've been nervous because all churches talk about is money, I mean, sorry. Uh, but what's really important as we talk about generosity, we've done this now. This will be our fifth week doing this. The first uh, four weeks, or six weeks, six weeks, the first four weeks of this. We're setting a stage in which uh, we didn't even talk about money. And that's because when the scriptures talk about our relationship with money, it's not really about money, it's about our hearts. And so the, the, those first four weeks are going to be important. I'm going to be bringing them up here again in a few minutes. But it's, it's dealing with uh, the fact that we were made by God and for God, right? That was week one. And then week two, we're dealing with the fact that if we're made by God and for God, why are we here? What do we exist for? We exist uh, for for um, his glory and to be sent out to do his mission. And that we've been sent not only to do his mission, but we've been sent to a specific place to do that. And that God is sovereign even over where we live. That everything we are is to be given away for the sake of others. 
And then if we get those first four weeks, that makes the rest of this seem a lot more natural and Okay? So, if you have a place in Hebrews, we're in chapter 13, sorry, I didn't mention that. Chapter 13. If, uh, if you stand in honor of God's word, that's our, our habit here. I'm just going to be reading two verses, verses 5 and 6. There they are. They're right, right behind This is God. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my help. I will not fear. What can man do? Grass withers the flower fades. The word of our God is not Jess and I got married two weeks after my graduation from Jamie in uh, May of Sutron. Um, I used to say that with like pride, and now, now I know people that are like, oh, I wasn't born then. But anyway, I started to feel my age. But uh, we basically knew we wanted to go to ministry of some kind, but, but we also uh, knew that we didn't want to have that cover go over So we spent two years living. In um, Harrisburg, where we paid off my mouth for student debt. Um, Jess had another semester to student teach, so we did that. So, so during that first year, we got used to what became our practice up until about three, four years ago, which was living on uh, one salary. And that one salary we lived on was a whopping $11 an hour. For the record, I can make more than that at the Wendy's down the street from my house today. And I had by the way. Uh, we were young, we were married, and we lived great. I could never have imagined making what I make now Maybe you're the same, right? Living on the, right? That's all you can for free day. Living on the, buying on time, right? Uh, and yet, here's what I probably know about you, even though I may not know you. You look back on that time and go, how did we ever do that? How could we have possibly done that? Because it's never quite enough, is it? And, and we kind of know that painfully when we entertain a cop in our pay. Right? It's not like when we're, when we're about to get a pay increase and we go, you know what, I don't really need that. It's, it's when we're set on our standard of living and now there's a possibility it may go down, even though it may have been there before. We're like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. Why? How can we go from a state of being satisfied from a situation to that situation? 
being impossible. Impossible event. And I ask that question because as we come into this issue of generosity, today we come into the question of content. What is it that makes us content? How do we grow in our contentment? How, how, do, we, how do we run from discontent? And, and what we're going to see this morning is simply this. That the answer to your discontent is, is not a problem, but it's a person. The answer to your discontent is not a problem, but it's a person. So let's, let's dig into this. Um, we're jumping into the middle of so spare me uh, a few minutes while I, while I kind of catch us up into what this uh, book's about. There's an outline here in your figure, not a okay? So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is not actually a book, it's a sermon. It, it's a sermon written by another Christian leader. We don't know who it was. Um, it was it was preached and, and probably written or preached and then copied and then sent out to the churches. But it's primarily preached towards, if not Jewish Christians, people who are so fluent in the Old Testament that all of the things in it made sense. And if you've ever read the Hebrews, you know exactly what I'm saying. If you're like happy, you're like, I don't know. Angels and, and I don't I don't know what the But basically, um, What's, what's talking about throughout the entire book, through the first 12 chapters, is how Jesus is better than all of these other Old Testament options. That it's trying to point out the fact that the Old Testament is basically a set of signposts that are leading you in a direction. And that direction ends up in Jesus of Nazareth, who then ends up on the cross and resurrected. And the last chapter, chapter 13, from right this morning, is very imperative truth. Driven. And by imperative, I mean command. It's like, okay, in light of all of that, in light of how Jesus is so much better than all of that, here's now what we need to do. Okay? And these two verses that I read are, are in the midst of a list, and we're going to get into one particular thing about this, and it's very interesting for us, especially in this church, as part of the, the reform, the evangelical tradition, and the things we find uh, really important, why this thing, this content is also a part of this. But we're going to get into that, but this, this is part of the list of what to do, what not to do, how, how these things should impact your living, okay? And so it starts here. Let me just read it again in uh, the beginning of verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money. Now, uh, as I say that, and, and read it literally what it is in the English Standard Version, ESV, it sounds like bad English, right? You would say, keep your life free from the love of money. But this is a, an attempt to get at a translation that is actually very bulky in the original. Uh, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, if, if you didn't uh, realize that. So, uh, it, the, the literally means, or literally it states, the life, no other Like, that's, that's basically what it says. And so, this, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's an imperative, it's a command, but at the same time, it's almost like a given, a statement. Your life is to not have any, any of the sense of love, of money. But what does that mean, right? Because, I mean, I, I know that some of us grew up watching duck tales, and we think of, like, screw big ducks, so we think money bag, and, and that's really awesome, and we think of, that's love of money, so guy who's, like, petting his, his cash as he goes to bed. That's because we have an overly romantic view of the idea of love. Love, in the ancient Near East, didn't simply mean affection. Affection was part of it, but it was actually a very minor part of it, if you believe that. See, in our, in our culture, stemming from the romanticism uh, of, of Europe especially, uh, 
your boyfriend or girlfriend or loving anyone, it's always about affection. But in the ancient Near East, it actually had more to do with loyalty. Who are you loyal to? You love the king, didn't mean to think you walk out like, oh, he's so great, I love him, but I just want to catch his son. It's to say, uh, don't betray him. Don't betray the king is what love became there. And so in the same way, this has to do with a sense of loyalty. Okay, well, what does that mean, being loyal to money? Well, we talked about that uh, right before I left on a vacation, what it means to be, to be loyal to one thing over another. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said something about that, and we, we talked about that. But in this, for, for what we're dealing with today, what I want you to, to hear in this, what I want you to read in this, is that to, to be loyal towards something in this sense is to constantly have a desire for more, a hunger for more. Like in an inordinate sense, I must have, must have, must have, must have. And the rest of this verse kind of gives the opposite to flesh out exactly what it means. So look now at the idea of discontent. It says, uh, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So if be content is the positive side, then the negative side of you, don't be discontent, right? Don't be discontent. Uh, so another way of saying this would be don't be covetous. Now I know all of us use that word all the time. You're coming, your your you know siblings bear. We don't, okay? We don't. Covetous is a word, is a pretty preachy Christian word. Because it's in the Bible. It, it certainly has something, but it's not in our normal English. It, it generally means some sense of envy, some sense of jealousy. And because we don't often use it, we tend to think we don't deal with it. But what it really means is uh, basically wanting what someone else has. I mean, think back to, to, again, those first four weeks when we talked about the fact that not only we make poured by God, but that God is actually the owner of everything. Everything that we have is something that He has given us. I know some of you are arguing with me right now. I'm not going to get that. Just go back and listen to that. Okay? But um, it, everything that we have is something that He has given us. And so it's very much this idea of coveting, this idea of envy, this idea of discontent is really a sense of looking at the gift that you've been given and going, I don't like this one. I want that one. I want his present, not my present. And I know you can actually never heard that. So, uh, your kids are awesome. Right? Don't worry. Don't worry. We know. They're awesome. It's disregarding what we have because we desire what others have. Okay? So, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what the preacher here is saying is, it's, it, don't love money. Don't have this love of money. Be content. Look, like, be satisfied, in a sense, with the gift that you've been given. Not wanting what someone else is wanting. Now, here's the note that I want to bring up. I know that most of us don't find this particular issue very heinous, do we? Right? For instance, I'm explain our church a hard time because they weren't at our little party yesterday, and this person sent me a uh, text that had a picture of it of their view at that point, which was from some lake house that they go. It's the Mountain Lake. And I grew up on the lake. And what was in me was like this, I want that. Now, what I did not do at that moment was go, please forgive me, Jesus, because I am so broken that I don't love the gifts you've given me. I want what other people have given me. Or I want what, what other people have given me. That didn't cross my mind, to be honest. You know what? Because we don't think it's that bad. I want you to look one verse ahead of this verse. 
right before discontent and greed, something that most of us in this room would find very problematic. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. What is it that he can say in the next breath after adultery and sexual immorality, which, if we're being clear, is any kind of sexuality outside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman? He can say in the same breath, sexually immoral and adulterous, discontentedness. with your stuff. 
It's your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with God. So what does that mean? The idea that God will abandon us, the idea that God is not for us, the idea that God is out of his, that is not new to us. And so when the writer of Hebrews says this, and we look at this, we go, okay, so here's somebody in the first century, what does he know about my problems? He doesn't. Look at my house that I'm living in. Look at the cars that I'm 
What is it that keeps me secure? I am safe, I am secure because of what I have in my checking account. Or my savings account, let's go savings account. My 401k. Not doing well these days, to be honest with you. Not doing good. It's all the way back up, but it took a hit. I'll be okay because whatever problem comes my way, I can write a check, right? Nah, that's not you either. Okay? Satisfaction. Maybe this is you. What will make me feel whole? What will make me feel good? And that emptiness that I feel, that, that sense that something's wrong, I can get whatever I want because of my mind. You know, this is me. This is not This is not that very secret. You think about how much money Elon Musk has. That's exactly what you're thinking about. If I had that, I'd just have to feel it now. Savings account, your general savings, 
then that is definitely like, I love you. That is not the opposite of aesthetic. Right? All that means is you're seeking safety, not satisfaction from your resources. Maybe you're seeking status. I have enough. I'm someone. But you're still looking for money to be there. Thankfully, it's given right here in verse 6. And finally, we've gone to the next verse. Look at this promise. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do for me? Now, your Bible might say this. If it doesn't, let me just get it for you. That is a quote, okay? That our writer is quoting from Psalm 118. Um, often, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, which kind of strikes against one of the assumptions that we tend to have when it comes to the Bible. Whether you've been raised in church or not, and that's it. The, the Bible is kind of like two stories that talk about two very different things, maybe even two very different gods, right? You heard that? You thought that? Like this idea that, listen, if you're new to church and you've given up on church, you, you might come and, and think that what we see in the Old Testament, what we see in the New Testament, are dramatically different, right? But what I would tell you is these, these are not two books. You're like, oh, the God of the Old Testament.
And then he died as soon as death, which means he died to bear the weight of the consequences that we earn for our independence. And then he rose again so that when we place our faith in him, we're united with him, what becomes true of him is now true of us. He's restored us to the God who made us. So that now the Lord is my helper. He has become my help. What can man do? Now let's talk about the communion. My guess is, is that you probably, maybe, maybe you do know, my guess is you're probably having a little bit of a struggle to see what, what that has to do with our discontent. So let me make it clear. If we're to believe this, and listen, I know not everyone in this room believes this book, it's okay. Like you're welcome here, you can work that out. But for those of you who do, if we're, if we're to believe this, that means our discontent stems from our fear of, of being forsaken, and that drives us to seek our safety in money. That means that when we no longer fear that, when we no longer fear that I am going to be forsaken, I'm alone, I have to take care of myself, when we see the promises of God being sure in Jesus, that we can, can become free with our money and use it as God calls us. Now, so I don't get it. How does that work? Just because God won't believe me does not mean that I'll have enough. It's a great point. It's a great point. And actually, let, let me give you the basic line of argument here. When the writer of Hebrews is using this term, it, it's kind of something that the Apostle Paul has done, Jesus has done it in some other places. It was a rabbinic technique. Um, I won't use the technique. Basically, the argument from the, from the greater to the lesser. Paul said it this way. He said, God did not withhold his own son, but gave him all, or gave him for all of us. How will he not also give us in him all things? In other words, if you're willing to give the most precious thing you have for someone, what's a few bucks? Think about the most precious thing you own. The most precious thing that you consider yours. Right? For many of us, if your parents, for many of us, that's our kids. Not. <laughs> we need to talk. We should talk. Uh, it, maybe it's just been a bad week. If it's been a bad week, huh? okay, I get it. I get it. I've had this. But if the most precious thing you have, this, you want to know what the basis of this is? This is the basis of kidnapping. They take your kid, they go, look at this million bucks. What's a million bucks? Successful business owners. I don't know if you knew this, but when they left their fishing boat, someone else was working. 
it's not like they, you know, these guys are completely destitute. Matthew, Zacchaeus, they came out here well, a little sketchy, but still, okay? But when we say something like, how will I know I have enough? God generally answers, well, how much do you think is enough? Listen to me. Those of us who struggle in this particular area, I'm going to say this again. God is not a code machine. God is not a code machine when you put your little obedience token or your, or your faith token and you get your blessing out of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. If that is true, then you have to explain Jesus Paul, Pete, all, of the, all of the apostles, and all of the early church. How can we commend someone like Stephen who stands up and proclaims, we're like, oh, we're passionate faith, and share the faith in, it, in the midst of all of this persecution, and he gets stoned to death? What do we, how do we deal with Paul, who's so, this amazing church planner, wrote over half the New Testament, and he goes out and says, I've been hungry, and I've been full. I've been without home. And I had to, he goes into a city. He goes into a city to plant a church, and he's not like, "All right, believe in God for my blessing." He goes and starts making tents, right? Like this is not a great job. It's just all that he needed. Here's what this means: in becoming content, the answer is not an issue of stuff. It's not an issue of having a little more, or it's not an issue of trying to make yourself okay with a little less. It's about trusting the promise of God. It's about believing the gospel. It's about seeing that God has already given you Jesus, the most precious gift he could ever give, has conquered sin and hell and death. What else do I have to be afraid of? What else is there? If he has done this by giving us the most precious gift he could ever give, us all food. If we can see here that the for our discontent is not stuck out there, but something in here, then we can shift how we do it. So listen, if you're here this morning, you struggle with generosity, I always do this understand. Let's not pretend we're alive. Okay? Paul's bar for giving in the scriptures we're going to get to is Jesus. Jesus did not tithe himself. Okay? He gave all. You can't outgive him, which means if he's the bar, we all have a lot of room to grow. Alright? So if you don't feel free to give, if you don't feel free to tithe, if you don't feel free to give to others, but you, you fool yourself into believing. Listen, I love you. I've been here, so I get this. If you fool yourself into believing, I will be free from just have a little bit more. If you fool yourself into thinking, I need to tell you that you are lying to yourself. You're lying. Your discontent is because you're getting older and your lifestyle just needs to up because you're looking to your stuff to satisfy you. So you're looking to your stuff to make you safe. You're looking to give you status. And Jesus is the only answer to this. We need to repent.
believe that you are not. I ask this, Lord, I, I love the fact, I love the fact, Father, that you have given us this series in the midst of our best financial picture as a church ever. Because it, it dispels the myth that what we're doing in this is simply trying to manipulate people to get money. But Lord, you want more. You don't need our money. What you want is for us to be free from slavery to our money. And so I pray that you free us. I pray that you free us. Help us again to see whether it's for the first time or a million times. This is that status, that security, that satisfaction. Can only come from you. Because you're the word of God, and we 